one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on bluenile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over it. This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Boom, 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 the foul. Boom, 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 the yellow card. Nah, that's actually don't say. I have to ask you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I'd rather throw punches. What you doing down here, you shorty man? <laughs> It's a day of celebration of the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast, Murph and Ken, because... Because why? Irish football supporters have officially been declared the best fans in the world, really? or at least among the best fans in Europe, judging by the ticket allocation, ticket applications, 275,000 made for Euro 2016 from Irish supporters, more than 10 times the actual allocation the FAI has received. So slight mm. logistical issues to, to follow. According to UEFA, we're right up near the top of the class. Only France, Switzerland, Poland and Austria can live with us. Um... Well, also Iceland, if you want to say, if you want to count it by uh, proportion of population. Oh, well, if you want to count it by proportion of population, I'm going to be bombing Poland out of there. I'm going to be bombing France, France out of there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're right, up, right up at the top, I'd say, with regards to proportion of population. Well, we're behind Iceland. Why, what, are they, what numbers are they at? I think it's You've eight, crunched the numbers on this already, haven't you? Well, I think it's 8% of their population, which in our case would be what? Um, 400,000 minus... 350,000 okay. or yeah. so. 350,000, so which is... Okay, so Iceland have the best fans in Europe, <laughs> but we're not far behind. Um, do, do those mean... Are those? T- it says the final amount of tickets applied for involving Ireland. Is that 275,000 applications for Ireland tickets or matches involving Ireland, i.e. also Sweden? Like, we play Sweden at the Stade de France, and Sweden take a lot oh, of no. fans to these international tournaments, mm. like a whole lot. Well, I just assumed it was... Yeah, I just assumed oh, it was Irish. Listen, you can, you know, you can crunch all the numbers you like. We're the best fans in the world, right? And no UEFA figures. You know, you can cook them up any way you like, Owen. The fact of the matter is we're the best fans in the world once we've qualified for tournaments. <laughs> Everyone knows that. <laughs> Here's... Uh, so the FBI sent an email about this yesterday evening and basically they say uh, the final amount of tickets applied for involving Ireland exceeded 275,000 making Martin O'Neill's team one of the most sought after in France. It also highlights how much the demand outweighs the allocation. Uh, So for Ireland's three Group E games against Sweden, Belgium and Italy, there's a combined total allocation of 26,000 tickets available. And with over 275,000 tickets applied for, this indicates just how heavily oversubscribed each fixture is. 
While it is impossible to meet the demand of each ticket request, the FAI will endeavour to reward the most loyal supporters. UEFA will contact each applicant to inform them of the timeline expected for payments to be taken, while all applicants will be informed of their final status by February 29th at the latest. Now, there were some people, actually, uh, some people had, had contacted me on Twitter the other day to say that they had applied for tickets, but because they'd used a debit card rather than a credit card, their application was now not being considered valid and they didn't have any recourse, which sounds absolutely ridiculous. They say that happened to them after the event. So it wasn't as though they were told, no, 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 you got to use a credit card. They put it through on a debit card and but then were told. It seems that essentially they applied right. using the debit card and then received an email kind of at the deadline saying, oh, sorry, as you applied with a debit card, you will not, you know, screw you, basically. Mm. Which sounds crazy because you can't, there doesn't appear to be anything you can do about that. Uh, which just sounds totally ridiculous. I mean, if you, it's, it seems, why would you accept an application using a form of payment that you were not going to accept? That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand. But um, It's a funny statement when you read it that way because, the, as you're saying, yeah, the final amount of tickets applied for involving Ireland matches exceeded 275,000. Hmm. So that does make it sound as though that would include the other teams and, and the other... Uh, the other applications being made, but it the, leaves open that possibility. Yeah, but then when they talk, they they then use the twenty six thousand figure to say, look, in the next paragraph, they're saying there's been two hundred seventy five thousand tickets applied for, it and we've only got twenty six thousand tickets. Yeah. So it just seems like that two hundred seventy five thousand figure is be, almost being used in contradictory ways. Well, for us to, I mean, unless, I'm not saying there's anything like, overly thought out about that. It just doesn't seem totally clear. It, it could just be imprecise phrasing. I mean, they could mean 275,000 applications from Irish supporters. Mm. Um, but one or the other, it's th- that they then use that number as though that's what they meant. So let's assume that's what they mean for the time being. But anyway, the point is, there's a lot more people applying for tickets than there are tickets. So what does this FAI email say? The FAI, then, then note, the FAI has catered for Ireland supporters in the last three away fixtures, Gibraltar, Poland and Bosnia and Herzegovina. For the Gibraltar game in Faro, Portugal, the FAI were given an allocation of 10,000 tickets, but only 2,518 were taken up, while 2,405 were purchased from an allocation of 2,500 for the Poland game in Warsaw. However, from the first leg of the qualifying playoff against Bosnia, uh, Ireland were oversubscribed after being allocated 650 general admission tickets, but 1,403 applications were made for that game. I, I wish they'd go back to the Scotland game, by the way, because that was a, that was a really interesting one <laughs> in terms of what happened. But they don't they don't talk about that. But anyway, they say here are the details of the allocation for Ireland's Group E games: Ireland, Sweden, thirteen thousand. Let's start around thirteen thousand for for our Irish fans. Belgium against Republic of Ireland, six thousand. Italy versus Republic of Ireland, seven thousand. The application process, which closed on Monday, January 18th, was open to all Ireland supporters. However, preference will be given to supporters, clubs, season ticket holders, fans, direct members, and supporters who have accumulated a significant number of points. Priority allocation will also be given to supporters from affiliated football leagues. Uh, and more than 2,000 clubs have fallen under the remit. Board and national council members, Club Ireland members, Jack Charlton Lounge, Jack Charlton Lounge patrons, sponsors, and players slash staff. This is the most interesting paragraph of the whole thing, and it's the last paragraph. Go on. For each participating national association at Euro 2016, a total of 2,000 tickets have been awarded by UEFA. The FEI intends to distribute these tickets, once the ticketing process is complete, to unsuccessful applicants with a proven match attendance track record and to the football family. This number is not included in the overall allocation figure listed above. Right. So that's the 2,000 special extra tickets which the FEI could distribute to you if you were worthy of it, if 
you were the type of person who should get a ticket from the FBI. I like the way they've capitalised football family <laughs> and put it in a little quotation marks <laughs> as well. Mm. The football family. But that's, so that's 2,000 tickets. So if you didn't get tickets, there's still a chance that you could get the golden ticket mm. from... Sorry, can I just see your football family card there? Yeah. Uh, if you could just hand over the card, then the tickets will be yours. Well, I guess the father of the football family in this country is John Delaney. Mm-hmm. Uh... And he, I suppose, is then cast in the role of Willy Wonka with these 2,000 remaining tickets. Uh, he is uh, he's the, obviously the head of the FA. They've got 2,000 extra tickets. They don't really say how those tickets are going to be distributed. <laughs> the FBI, this, what's that sentence again? Intends to distribute these tickets once the ticketing process is complete. That's all the other, the other ones that we were talking about. To unsuccessful applicants with a proven match attendance record and to the football family. So there you go. If you can inveigle your way into the football family between now and, I guess, half an hour before kickoff, yeah, any just get it matches. done in the next few months. Get just get into that family. Doesn't matter. You can get it in at a low rung, and you can be just the long forgotten grandson mm. or granddaughter. I don't know. You've, 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 you do need Second a backstory. Second cousin once removed. I would the football family. Yeah, I would imagine. If you, I would imagine if you're only joining the football family at this stage of the year, at so close to the Euros, just a few months away, you are going to have to invent a backstory for yourself. Mm. Just to, just because otherwise they'd be thinking, well, if you're such a big part of the family, why have we never heard of you? Mm. So the second cousin turning up at the deathbed of the rich, <laughs> of the rich, uh, yeah. yeah, benefactor. No, no, no one's going to be listening to that guy. Do you feel like reporting on a bit of sport, Ken? Yes, yeah, do. All right. So, uh, I guess today on, the biggest story around European football is happening in Italy for a change. And that is because of a, well, a big, a big bust up between the managers of Inter and Napoli. Uh, and that is uh, Roberto Mancini uh, of Inter and Maurizio Sarri of Napoli. Now, what's the, uh, what's going on here? Well, a uh, game between Inter and Napoli in Naples. Inter win 2-0 uh, towards the end of the match. Um... Uh, Mancini uh, questions the amount of stoppage time that's being added whereupon Sarri the Napoli manager advances towards him and is seen to shout certain things mm-hmm. which causes a bit of a touchline uh, touchline anger we've seen that with Roberto Mancini many times um, he, he's a manager who does get involved in the odds uh, uh, you know verbal exchange with the with his opposite number uh, but on this occasion, he was particularly angry, um, and uh, because of what Sari had said, and in fact, he took the unusual step of revealing exactly what it was, and what it was is not good. Uh, he's being asked about this afterwards, what happened, and, and Mancini starts by saying, well, you have to ask Sari what happened, as he is a racist. He says, men like him shouldn't be in the world of football, he's 60 years old, and he must be ashamed. And people are like, well, what, what, what did he say? And he says, well, I got, to, I got up to ask about the five minutes of injury time, and he yelled, faggot. I would be happy to be one if he is what's considered a man. The first official heard everything, but he di- but didn't say a word, and I was sent off. This incident overshadows the rest of the match and is an embarrassment. That's um, Mancini got sent off. He tried to find me after the match and ask for forgiveness, but he should be embarrassed. In England, someone like him wouldn't even be allowed in a training pitch. The words that uh, he used were ferocio and finocchio. Two separate, two separate words. Sorry, this is uh, sort of around the same, you know, quite shortly after the game. 
It was the kind of argument people have on the touchline or on the pitch. I apologised to him in the locker room, but I expected him to apologise to me too. I think what happened on the pitch should stay on the pitch. Um, I can't remember uh, the exact words. It's possible that I said that. I was fired up and angry, so I'm not sure what I said. Am I homophobic? That seems over the top. I was just irritable. I said something out of rage at the Dries Mertens red card, and I have nothing against Mancini. We are men of sport. These things happen, and it only lasted 10 seconds. What I said wasn't directed towards Mancini. Once the game ended, he should have dropped it there. I even reached out to him at the end of the game to apologise. He should have accepted it. Every man should be prepared to forgive. The whole thing is being exaggerated. There are words of anger, not homophobic comments. I yelled out in frustration and without the intent of, of offending. My actions were neither sexist nor racist, simply the product of anger. But I accept another could think differently. Um, however, it's not actually stopped there. Because Roberto Mancini uh, comes back to this. Um, he says, how can we still be hearing things like this in 2016? The thing that annoys me the most is that while Sari was calling me queer and fairy, which are the translations given of Frocio and Finocchio, mm -hmm. he was just a step away from the lines from the fourth official. In fact, I told him to take note of his insults, and all they said was, leave it be, come on. But he kept on insulting me and even made an obscene gesture. It's incredible. Um, I entered the, he said, he went into the Napoli dressing room alone against all of them to tell Sari, you've not realized you're 60 years old and there are certain things he really should not be saying. If he called me a son of a bitch or a piece of shit, I wouldn't have cared less. It was obviously in the heat of the moment, but it's about time an end was brought to certain insults when there are people who received them and suffer from them every single day and they ruin their lives. They really should not be coming from a 60-year-old who coaches in Serie A. He's 57, but, you know. All I did was protest to the fourth official in the 90 minute that five minutes of additional time was too much, and Sarri exploded in the way he did. He lost the pot completely, but that's the way he is. It must be his nature. It seems like he said similar things in the past. In fact, he has said something along these lines in the past, a couple of years back when uh, he was complaining that essentially it was a, a complaint along the lines of, the game's gone. Right. Uh, and it was uh, as a result of some refereeing decisions which he thought, you know, Come on, back in the old days, that kind of tackle was, you know, that was our bread and butter, that sort of tackle. Now, it's, it's a game for Finocchio's, was essentially the tone of his, uh, of his comments on that occasion. Um, Mancini then goes on to say, there's a different sensitivity towards these things abroad. In other countries, like in England, if a manager were to say similar things to what he said about a colleague, he would not set foot in a stadium again. How do I expect this to end? Well, it will end as things do in Italy, won't it? He'll get a two-game ban, and that'll be it. What I want to know is what do the people at Napoli think? Does Napoli's president have nothing to say about this? Incredible. Um, seems he probably will just get a two-game ban, even though this is like a huge story in Italy now. Fair play to Mancini. He seemed to really go after it as well. Oh, yeah. It, it is heat of the moment after the game. He revealed what had been said. And I, I guess there's probably no backtracking from that anyway, but it seems as though... You're saying, sorry, those, just those later quotes are... After. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since okay. since then, yeah. Yeah, so he's he seems to be speaking quite eloquently on it and you know, challenging a lot of a lot of people. Yeah. Um, uh, sorry, where am I? The point. Uh, okay, so the point about it is that there is you could have a four month ban uh, for you know uh, using essentially discriminatory discriminatory epithets like this, but apparently the likelihood is that he'll only get a two game ban because. Well, why? Why do you think? What, what do you think the justification might be? Because 
Okay, you can't, if, if you were to use these words, you can get up to a four-month a four ban, you know, like a racist insult or no, 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 a homophobic you, insult. Usually in cases like this, it can be hard to prove. It can be hard to prove what one person is saying he heard is exactly what the other person has said. But once it's proven, I would have thought at that point you can throw the book at them. What, what, what is the reason for it possibly only being two game bans? The reason is that Roberto Mancini is a heterosexual man. Therefore, uh, this right. is not a homophobic comment because he's not homosexual. It's merely an offensive comment, even though it's a homophobic <laughs> insult. That's, that's bonkers. Yeah, isn't isn't it? Uh, yeah, it seems it seems kind of it seems a strange one. Although, yeah, maybe maybe they've been down this road before. Maybe there's a um, maybe there's a prior ruling there. Uh, it just seems to me that the, it's the, the homophobic comment has been made regardless why else would he be using those terms if he's using homophobic terms in an abusive manner mm. to me it's not actually relevant whether the person he's he's abusing well not that it's not relevant it might it might well hurt somebody who's gay more than it, than it might hurt a straight man but it seemed to really get to Mancini and I think he's within his rights to go after oh, it that seems that seems crazy yeah I mean, do, do you know the one thing on it that the point that he was making about the linesman and the and the assistant sorry, the assistant referee and the fourth official and all that was quite interesting because those guys the only defense I'd have of them if there is a defense is that they're so their entire lives professional lives involve getting abused yeah. as in hearing abuse getting abused themselves hearing managers shout at each other they, they literally they have to block as much out as they possibly can or else they can't function. If you or me went into that environment, I'd say we'd, we'd die a death after one game because it's just the, the amount of horrible stuff you probably hear. So that my only defense might be that they, they just block everything out and, and, and maybe, well, maybe they choose not to hear it as opposed to actually not hearing it. Mm. It seems pretty good. Did, did you get my yeah, point no, on no, that I, one? I, I know what you're saying, that, uh, that the reaction of someone who say, of one of the three of us standing in between two managers where that's said. Like, this is crazy. Did you not hear what he said there? Yeah. Where Where's that? Well, guys? I've already, I've already well, been I've called that. I've heard that 40 times today. <laughs> yeah, so. today, literally in the last half hour. Um, yeah, I mean... But at the same time, the, you'd have to say as well that the fourth official... Now, the fourth official, his job, effectively, is... To look after that kind of stuff. Well... No? Well, no, his job is to be abused by the... Oh, sorry. ...by yeah, the yeah. two managers... Uh, for the actions of three other people who he has no control over whatsoever. Yeah. It just ha so happens that he's the pinata that's, you know, hanging there for these <laughs> yeah. two managers to to whack any time his, you know, colleagues make a mistake. But at the same time, you know, you have to say that those guys need to be able to tell the difference between getting abuse from the stand and getting and abuse from the stand and abuse between players or abuse between managers. I mean, yeah, that's, that, you know, that's very true. Yeah. Can't really be letting them off on that either. Yeah, it's no. hard to pinpoint one individual supporter or even a group of supporters, but it's not hard to pinpoint a manager if you, if, if what he said is clearly audible. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, w what about the argument that uh, Sari makes quite clearly? I mean, Sari, first of all, says, oh, I don't think I, I you know, maybe I said that, I'm, I'm not sure. I, if I said it, I didn't mean it. And anyway, he shouldn't have said anything about it. It's like the same point that <laughs> Seth Blatter made, you know, it's the, uh, remember Blatter said. Um, you should just shake hands. Shake hands what was that around? It was, it was around a ra racism on the field. Yeah. Racism was... on the field. These things happen in the game, you know. Leave it on the leave it on the field. Yeah, the, well, the only way guaranteed to make sure that it'll continue to happen is for people to shake hands at the end of the game and make sure that no one says anything about about it ever. 
mean, this is, you know, it's, it's not the the history of these things is not uh, over the course of 40 years. It became less and less and less. And then eventually we got to a stage where it didn't happen anymore. It comes in great leaps, followed by years of an action, followed by another great leap. And then exactly. Yeah, we've talked to we talked to Adam Goods before Adam Goods, the uh, AFL player, Aboriginal mm. player. And that the whole the story of discrimination against Aboriginal players is pockmarked by these landmark moments uh, such as I've forgotten the name of the player, Nicky Win- Winmar or something along those lines, in the uh, in the early nineties, mm. who scores a goal after getting a load of abuse, lifts up his jersey and points at his skin, and th- th- that's sort of that's one of these uh, iconic moments. And Adam Goods has been responsible for so many. He's taken a lot of a lot of stick for his reactions to to incidents in the last couple of years. But my point is that if if that uh, like you're saying, if those hadn't happened, you would imagine the abuse would would just never have stopped. I mean, maybe society changes and maybe that then drip feeds into sport. But I don't know if nobody stands up to these things. and yeah, if nobody's So often it's not incremental. Yeah. And funny, in the case of that player that's in killed the player, it wasn't as though he actually did a post-match interview about it. It was, it was even more powerful in a way. He's on the field. It's like, OK, what happens on the field stays in the field. I'm on the field and I'm going to point at my skin here because this is what I'm being abused over. I, I don't buy that at all, that you everyone should just shut up and shake hands and that's the end of the game. Mm. How far do you take that? So you, you, anything is fair game during a match. I, mean, I, I don't. I don't see how that's true. Especially, uh, I mean, given the fact that, as Mancini kept saying, the guy's sixty. He's, he's not. Quite. Seems to be fixating on his age. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he probably doesn't like. Especially when someone exaggerates. Like I was like, come on, you're you're better than that, Alan. You're forty. You should know better. <laughs> um, no, but. Uh, you know, he doesn't have... State your age for the record there. I, I, I wouldn't let him get away with that. Well, I always get my age wrong, so I probably... 42. You're 36 years old, Ken. He doesn't have the excuse... I'm 35. It did take me... 36 this year, whatever. That a player might have of, of, you know, the blood the blood <laughs> being up. You know, the sort of this running around in the field and you're kind of not in your normal... Not like, let's say, in a judicial frame of mind. You're not necessarily at your most coldly rational and calculating when you're running around like uh, in the midst of a game you know it's why you rarely see golfers elbowing or stamping on each other you know they're they're sort of just walking around right <laughs> i mean it's not to say that the competition isn't just as intense as it is you know in a in a rugby a big rugby or, or football game but it's just a different type of competition where elbowing stamping you know uh that sort of stuff uh, doesn't really tend to go on that much on the fairway, does it? Uh, no, Ken, not uh, not all that often. No, I mean, I think if you go down the down the divisions, you know, there 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 might be the odd incident, but you know, at the top level, Ken, yeah. I think it's fair to say that doesn't really happen. I think it is a brave move by Mancini, who who is a hothead. You know, Mancini is is one of the most hot-headed managers I think in that in the game. He really is, um, but it is a brave move by him to do that because I mean. Okay, I mean, this might be in itself uh, a discriminatory comment, but I, how many managers in Serie A do you think haven't said this at some point? I wonder if there's any of them. I what, they haven't happen used those words? Yeah. You think, you think they've all used at those some words point, somewhere? Yeah, at some point. Might be. That would shock me, to be honest. Well, I don't know. It wouldn't shock me to hear that more that, than some of the others have, have said those things. but Most of the others? I don't know, we're in pure speculation mode we are, here. We are in speculative territory, but what I mean is that Mancini is calling someone out for... Mancini's like, I'm sick of this. Yeah, in his head, it's like, I've heard enough of this over the years. I haven't reported in the past. 
So how, what do you think the what what I'm asking really is what do you think the reaction of his oh, fellow managers of his co- managerial colleagues will be to this if they if they've got a have they got a WhatsApp Serie A group going um, I don't know if Roberto Mancini's just left the group Roberto Mancini has left the group but it's if the la- it's the last thing that's put up there or maybe they've set up uh, another group uh, in which they're now currently saying have you seen this you know what I mean what I'm saying is that. For Mancini to do it shows a, a depth of feeling about it, I, I suppose, yeah, because it's not a it's not an easy thing to do uh, in terms of his own uh, professional relationships. Maybe more so, I think, for a manager than for a player to to take a stand like that. Yep. You know. Um, so where are we? Uh, Arsene Wenger was being asked at the press conference today. Um, so Arsene, Arsene, uh, if Chelsea were to be uh, you know, in a relegation battle this season, would that make them specialists in failure? Arsene Wenger's response is, I can see where you want to take me, but I am not ready to travel. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, they are playing this weekend, uh, Arsenal and Chelsea. Uh, Ozil certainly will be available, said Wenger. For Sanchez, the next two days will be decisive. Uh, he obviously left him out of the, um, uh, the most recent match against Stoke because... He basically thought if he blows up again, like it's going to destroy the club, <laughs> it will ruin the it will ruin the season. If I pick him against Stoke and he blows a hamstring, mm. um, I bet I better step off at that stage because it will have such a demoralizing effect on everybody. It's not worth the risk. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to play him against Chelsea, however, um, uh, and it's going to be a big game this weekend. Chelsea, incidentally, reported to be interested in signing. Uh, Alexandra Pato. We'll talk to Tim Vickery about that in a little while and some other things. Um, but uh, for the mean, in the meantime, there is another Brazilian story involving another club. But first of all, let's hear these quotes from Jurgen Klopp about Christian Benteke. Christian Benteke, who he played in the FA Cup uh, replay against against Exeter. Uh, Joe Allen also played, but mainly the team was a. Uh, a team, you know, a similar sort of team to the one that played in the first leg, made up of re- mainly reserve players. Um, Joe Allen scored again. He can't stop scoring at Anfield. Uh, Christian Benteke, not so much. Uh, he he did not manage to score. He did set up the third goal on the night with a with a nice piece of play. It was like Zidane in Euro 2000. You know. It's, Sorry, it's, this is an FA Cup third round goal, isn't it? Why haven't we gone through all the replay goals? <laughs> this is an outrage, Ked. Well, 59% of our listeners have demanded it. 59% of our listeners can wait. <laughs> can wait until <laughs> the next round because, you know, it's it's too much. But people, you know, okay, the fact that Benteke is playing in this game is is embarrassing for him. You know, it's like, why why is the most expensive player at the club playing in this game with all the reserves? <sighs> this isn't a good sign, really. Hmm. No. Klopp had been asked about him, uh, had been asked about him earlier in the, well, or rather before the game, uh, and had basically told everyone to lay off uh, Benteke. He says, you're too quick in your judgments. If I worked like this, I'd send players who miss chances to the next club or whatever. So stay cool. Of course he has a future. That is not in question. What we have to do is think what teams, what team fits together for the special game. For the next game, it could be different. We all have to think about how we create chances. First of all, we cannot hope that we get the ball into the box and then maybe Christian will finish it. He's a goal scorer and makes chances and so on. That's all good, but this is how it works. We make a starting lineup, it ends at 11, then we make the bench. He always has the possibility to play. So he mentions about uh, 
he tried to sign Benteke or, or discussed signing Benteke for Dortmund and met him apparently at one point in 2013 to talk about it. But obviously that didn't happen. Um, whether because Villa would have looked for too much money, I imagine it's difficult to see how Dortmund could sign a player from an English club. Uh, you know, they're too expensive. Um, but they said, well, is Benteke not a, a little bit too, a bit too much like a statue? To play the kind of football that you want him to play. That's not something uh, that makes sense to talk to the press about, uh, Klopp said. But basically is saying, um, you know, give over. Uh, Give Benteke Benteke a chance. Uh, I haven't written him off. Although then, what do you make of today's reports that Liverpool want to sign, according to Tony Barrett, um, you know, who I think has got pretty good sources at Liverpool. Sure. Uh, 32, they're, they're, they're trying to sign Alex, Alex Teixeira from Shakhtar for 32 million euros. I don't know. Yeah, we're going to talk to Tim Vickery about that a little bit later. Well, it seems, um, I mean, there's only a certain number of, you know, uh, strikers and attacking midfielders you can have. Alex Teixeira, I suppose, is a is a versatile type of player. But you would imagine he would, although again, you know, while he's a, while he's a pretty useful player and his his like twenty two goals in fifteen league games this season pretty good. It's not bad, season, yeah. yeah. Um, he he's he's another quite small player, you know. And this is this has been a kind of a a problem for uh, a problem for Liverpool for the last while. The kind of physically insubstantial nature of their team. Um, Shane Long Shane Longy Long is not physically insubstantial. No, he's not. Although he's, he wouldn't be, the, he wouldn't necessarily be the tallest player either. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I suppose we'll wait and see. Now, Tony Barrett also mentioned that uh, Shakhtar are looking for fifty million euros, which is uh, at the moment more than fifty percent uh, more than what Liverpool are are supposedly uh, bidding. It is interesting the way they tend to try and buy strikers in January, isn't it? Unlike everybody else, I mean, everybody says, "Oh, you know, January is not a good time to buy players." Well. Pretty much all their best transfer deals uh, of the last few years have happened in January, with Luis Suarez, Daniel Sturridge, and Philippe Coutinho all being January signings. Uh, maybe he's going to be another one. I don't know, but it looks as though they're going to have to uh, to spend a bit more, which shouldn't be too difficult when you look at the fact that the the Del- Deloitte Rich list has got seventeen English clubs in the top thirty, with Liverpool at number nine. That's it for the report and sport. FIFA made a movie recently, did uh, they? John Delaney could run anything. They did, they did. About themselves? Yeah, about themselves. God, that's ego, isn't it? He could run FIFA. Certainly better than Zach Blatter. Yeah, that is, that's incredible ego, but the real movie's on its way. Yeah, I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow too, don't forget that. No, no, don't forget that. In 2009, I called him an embarrassment to FIFA and an embarrassment to himself, and I, and I said it to him across the table, just like I'm talking to you. We weren't too explosives. He said, no one speaks to me like that. And you said? And I said, what I do? And that was it. We were two explosives. And I just asked her to move on. It was an extraordinary moment. She, she was here, she tell you, just stared at her for seven or seconds, and I said, move on now, please. And then he moved. When I went in and told him how I felt about him, yeah. and there was some explosive views, we came to an agreement. It's a very good agreement, Cliff, and I. And you've used the figure there. Well done to you. All right, good story today about Gareth Bale's real transfer fee. This is something that's been talked about quite a lot. Well, he's generally referred to in the British press as the world record transfer fee, uh, or certainly the the man who 
for whom the world record was broken, but this has never been confirmed in Spain, and it, apparently it's because they've always wanted to keep Cristiano Ronaldo sweet, but it looks as though, based on these latest reports, just over €100 million Euro was the price tag, uh, based on some leaked contracts that they paid for, that Real Madrid paid for Gareth Bale, which is a few million over what they paid for Ronaldo. Uh, Sid Lowe is ready to chat about this. Sid, it's an interesting one. Is, is Ronaldo really that sensitive that Real would have to jimmy around the figures like this? Uh, that's that's quite a good question. I mean, it, it's that sensitive that they believe that there was some need to do this. I suppose um, is is the answer. I mean, you know, we look at look at some of what's happened this season, uh, and I think you you get some of the answer to, to this question. One of the big criticisms that was levelled at Rafa Benitez at the start of the year was that when he was asked a direct question, which was, "Is Cristiano Ronaldo the best person, the best player you've ever managed?" he didn't say yes. When he was asked directly if Cristiano Ronaldo is the best player in the world, he said something like, he's, he's certainly one of them, of course, yes. Um, and this was treated as a really big deal, and it really shouldn't be. But the very fact that it was, I think, gives you some of the answer when, when we go back and look at, look at that as the context to, to, to everything that's going on with Bale. Now, I must admit, I don't know enough about, about the Football League's website. I don't know enough about the, the credibility of it. But as you rightly say... Um, the fact that Bale, or the, the, the suggestion that Bale was the most expensive player in the world was something that the, the British press were already saying. As, as I understood it, his value was over, over 100 million euros, but that Real Madrid had always said 91 million euros. And, and, and as you rightly say, precisely to try and maintain that sense of Ronaldo being the, the most expensive, and then, of course, by extension, most important and best player in the world. But it's funny that we use the transfer fee as that measure now, or certainly... It, it, Which is complete nonsense, isn't it? Because well, plenty of players have been hideously overpriced. Well, completely, so. and it just depends on various issues, age, market, different, different... Exchange rates. Exchange rates. Well, know, that's the other thing. I mean, exchange rate in this may also means that when, when it gets talked about, we, we actually don't know for sure you know, exactly how much, because, of course... That's right. I mean, you buy a player for eighty million euros, which was, was which was, of course, Cristiano. Sorry, eighty million pounds, which of course Cristiano Ronaldo's fee. And sometimes you get people in Spain who say, "Well, so therefore he was ninety-three million euros, or therefore he was ninety-six million euros." And of course, we don't know at which point Real Madrid bought their currency in order to make that transfer. Yeah, yeah. Who is it? Do you think it's more Cristiano Ronaldo or or George Mendes? Cristiano Ronaldo's link to the outside world that gets annoyed about this. I remember reading an article. Uh, a little while ago, it was Jonathan Barnett, the agent of Gareth Bale, mm. talking about the agent banter that him and George Mendes would have. And he would yeah. apparently rib George Mendes about the fact that Gareth Bale costs more than Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, and George Mendes didn't like that one <laughs> bit. <laughs> and by the way, I, don't, I do not doubt that for a minute. Um, and, and, and certainly that's the other thing in all of this. You've got, you've got to ask yourself who has an interest in certain prices um, being the accepted wisdom. Uh, and, you know, obviously Real Madrid didn't want to wind up Mendes. I'm sure that, 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 that Jonathan Barnett, Gareth Bale's agent, probably quite enjoyed the fact. In fact, certainly enjoyed the fact. And that piece, I think, was an interview with Stuart James, wasn't it? Mm. Um, that, that Jonathan Barnett clearly enjoyed the fact that Gareth Bale had cost more than Cristiano Ronaldo, or at least that he could say that Gareth Bale had cost more than Cristiano Ronaldo. I think the Mendes question is an interesting one because I think when you look um, at some of the things that have been said by Mendes and said by Ronaldo, you look at the public reactions to winning the Ballon d'Or, for example, you look as well at that, that Cristiano Ronaldo film, and the Ballon d'Or takes a really central role in all this, much more so than, for example, winning the European Cup. And it becomes about individual, uh, an individual award. And we've always assumed that that was an expression of Ronaldo's... Um, kind of self-perception, that it's about him being the best, not necessarily about winning things with his team. But I, I think your question's a valid one. I think it's worth asking, actually, is this really about Mendes? Is this really about Mendes saying, I represent the best player in the world? 
And that can, of course, be demonstrated through what he wins. But the best way to demonstrate it is the Ballon d'Or itself. And, and I, think, I think we are, in, in some of the, the kind of expression of ideas and, and identities and belief, narrative, whatever you want to call it, I can't actually think of the right word, um, that surrounds Cristiano Ronaldo, I think what we're actually seeing is, if you like, the prejudices or the, or the hopes of, of Mendes as much as, the, as much as the ideas of Ronaldo himself. Yeah, uh, I wondered. Sid, we haven't talked to you since this transfer ban was uh, transfer ban was announced on uh, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid. Can you explain uh, how they how they think they're going to cope with this? Because um, if it was to go through as as currently constituted, so they would be banned from signing any new players uh, in the, the summer transfer window and then the next winter, which would mean they'd either have to get their skates on and get some stuff done this month. Or they have some other idea of how they're going to deal with it, which maybe would enable them to sign some players in the summer. Yeah, okay. So there, there, there are a number of potential solutions, and, and, and obviously I, I don't know exactly where this will go, but, but let's look at some of them. Um, the first one is that Real Madrid's public message is, we are not going to accelerate anything and we're not going to run into this market because we believe we're right and we will win the appeal and therefore this just simply won't be an issue. Now, that's their public message. Of course, their private message is completely different. Well, it's not their private message. What they're saying in turn is different because they know, by definition, that there's a good chance that they won't win the appeal. In fact, if this follows the path that Barcelona took, um, and, and it's a broadly similar-looking case by, by on, the, on the face of it, at least, then, then they won't win that, and there will be a, a two-transfer window ban. So let's assume that their, their public message is wrong, uh, and, and if it's right, then obviously this whole thing just kind of goes away. But if their public message is wrong, then you've got a number of things. The first one, obviously, is an acceleration now in this market, buying players now. The other thing is look back at the summer, and you look at some of the transfers they made in the summer. They already knew this was coming. The signing of uh, Asensio, of Vallejo, and two young players who are going to be very, really big. I think if you take it back to Erdegaard, you might even see an element of it there. This, this was about, I think, having young players ready to come through in case something like this happened. Now, um, Obviously, that one of the big problems they had in the summer was they didn't get De Gea, and they still want that. They still want him. They still want a goalkeeper, but they obviously they want it to be him. So that's something that could be um, genuinely damaged by this, because of course De Gea renews with Manchester United, but renews with a clause that allows him to go to Real Madrid. But what if the window is closed and he can't do that? So that that's one thing is that they accelerate now, and they've already done some acceleration in the summer. The other possibility is that they try and do what Barcelona did, which was to effectively slow the process down, um, ask. Uh, appeal against it and then effectively say well, while there's pending a full investigation we want the sentence to be suspended in other words to free up the summer market window and to be banned for the subsequent two rather yeah. than the summer one now the problem is that the timings are not quite the same as barcelona barcelona could slow it down just in time to hit that window and therefore ask for it to be suspended and get that window Real Madrid are that bit further away from that window so it's harder to slow it down enough that it would hit just in time to be able to say, oh, look, you've really got to give us this window. Um, but Real Madrid, I think, could try that as well, so they get the summer window and then they get banned the next two. Um, and, and then, of course, the, the, the final option is, is, is simply that, they, that they, get, they get hit by this, but they bring back as many on-loan players as they can uh, and, and try and muddle for it. The other thing is, I think you look at Real Madrid's squad, and, and certainly Atletico, you look at the players they've already bought and the way they've already constructed their squad, I'm not completely convinced they're in that much of a hurry. I mean, if I, I think as a club they will be. I don't think they should be. Mm. I think it does Real Madrid some good not to not to mess around buying another superstar in the summer. Yeah, it might actually have a kind of an unintended, like positive effect in the sense. Yeah, it of... stops Florentino being Florentino basically. <laughs> it stops yeah. it stops him having his 
his his moment of glory each summer, which isn't necessarily always as as beneficial as, as he thinks it would be. Yeah, that but De Gea, yeah, De Gea is a practical they, purchase though. De Gea, I wouldn't necessarily put in the bracket of some of the, the random superstars. No, Has anybody I mean, actually? De Gea is someone they gen- they genuinely could do with. I mean, we've we've talked about how well Kayla Navas has played, and and he has played well. But I think there is a recognition, even even from people like me who are saying things, you know, kind of jokingly saying Real Madrid are delighted that that fax machine broke down because Kayla was playing so well. I think we all know that in terms of basically what level is the goalkeeper at, De Gea is, is better than Kayla and someone that, that Real Madrid desperately won. Oh, he's, I mean, he's amazing. De Gea yes, is, he is. is absolutely really brilliant. Is. And yeah. it, I actually said that there was something I saw the other day. Apparently, Casillas is still a favourite to start for Spain in the Euros. Is that true? Is that really true? <laughs> I, 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 love, I love the incredulity in your voice with that question. But I, I, it's, I, it sounds amazing. I think you sum it up. I think you sum it up. I mean, to be honest, I, I don't think... I don't think uh, Casillas should have been first choice um, at the last World Cup. That said, we then had the situation in which De Gea got injured. Um, was it just before he arrived in Brazil or just after they got there? Anyway, he, he got injured. Um, and and I, th- I, I think this time, I think Del Bosco would love the chance to, to, to resist and hang on and have Casillas as first choice if he's playing well and then do the transition after the European Championships. But... Uh, I think the pressure is building more than ever, ever before. I think the evidence is clearer than it's ever been before. Um, but, of course, the, the, the Casillas issue in Spain is so nasty. Uh, there's so, so much kind of aggression on the two sides of the divide. It's so divisive that I think it makes this decision harder. It's not just going to be, who's my best goalkeeper, him, OK, he plays. And there will be there will be much much more soul searching than that before this decision is made. But I, it, I find that absolutely incredible. I mean, Casillas so has has had an amazing career. He has won three international tournaments with Spain. He, he, nobody could possibly have asked for more. You can barely speak. I've, I don't think I've ever seen you as incredulous. This but, is amazing. You know, he he's. I mean, and he and he used to be a great goalkeeper, but it's clear now. I mean, you sh- you've got to pick your best players. That's that's the yeah. that's the yeah. that's sporting justice, you know. And and when the when the gap in quality is, is as wide as it is now, I can't understand why this issue. I mean, what what would Casillas do if if Del Bosque was to say? Uh, Iker, you know, we're, you're my number two. Remember Oliver Kahn in the 2006 World Cup? That's going to be you in 2016. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, 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 that is the logical approach. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not convinced Casillas is Spain's number two either, or, or possibly even their three or four, three or four at the moment. Um, but, but I think it, because it will be divisive in the way that it's responded to by the media, it will be held against Del Bosque no matter what he does. I personally think that what he should do, of course, is isolate himself from all of that noise and just take the decision. The decision, for me, is, is, is as it is for you, a really obvious one. It, it shouldn't even need to be thought about, really. Yeah, I have to pick Ken up off the floor here, Sid, so we'll leave you to it. <laughs> Great to talk to you. Thanks a million. My pleasure. Cheerio. You're okay there, Ken. You're still with us, yeah. You're just... Um, yeah. Rarely seen you like this before. The you want to make a point about the exchange rates? Well, um, that we talked about there. Well, it's 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 a funny kind of a thing. Like uh, obviously the 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 exchange uh, with Gareth Bale and Ronaldo, they were signed at different times, and uh, eighty million, eighty-one million pounds, I think, is what Manchester United said they received for uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. And if you were to put that in euros today, uh, the Potsy exchange rate at the moment is 129. 129. That would be uh, 106 million, comfortably more than Gareth Bale. But of course, it wasn't the amount of euros that it was at that time, you know. Uh, This is something that you can also see in the 
in the money league that's out at the moment, um, where the English clubs uh, are there's 17 of them I think in the top 30, and okay, so it's you know Real Madrid, Barcelona, Man United, PSG, Bayern, then City, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, all in a row, and Juventus finishing out the the top 10. But when you look at it, you can see that they they're converting the they basically it's a euros list, but they convert the English clubs revenues from pounds into euros um so you can see that the english clubs all seem to be way richer this year because primarily the exchange rate is yeah. is better like the uh, a pound is worth more euros at this point than it was the last time they compiled this we're yeah. going to get over to tim vickery now tim we haven't chatted to you in a while hope you're you're keeping well yeah, very well, very well. Thank you, and looking forward to kicking the ball around over the next few minutes. Yeah, I wanted to kick the ball around with regards to uh, Jorge Sampaoli, who was the Copa America winning coach for Chile, up for FIFA Coach of the Year last week, if people are watching those awards. And now he's actually left the, the national side. What's happened there? It's all been very acrimonious, really. I mean, you can clearly see that this was a good moment uh, for him to leave Chile for two reasons. And firstly, as you mentioned, he was on the FIFA podium last week. So he has a profile. Um, he's in the spotlight not only for what his Chile team did, but also for the way that they did it and the, the way that uh, his sides play, which is very attractive. And especially you would have thought for a big European club that's looking to dominate most of its games because Sampaoli's side... He's very much uh, in, in the school of Marcelo Bielsa. He wants to play in your half of the field. He wants to attack. He wants to throw many men forward. So, number one, his profile is very high. Number two, you can clearly come to the conclusion, I think, that he's taken this Chile side as far as it can go. Um, I know there's, there's a centenary Cop America this year, but the next real test assuming they qualify, of course, would be the World Cup. They've got the Confederations Cup as well, but that's a warm-up. Um, so the next real test would be the World Cup in Russia 2018. Uh, and uh, the, almost all of the senior players then will be over 30. And Alexis Sanchez is, is an exception, but all of the others really over 30, perhaps too old for the high-intensity football that Sampaoli likes to play. So this was a, a, a wise time to make the move which means that November was not a wise time to sign a new contract mm. with a clause there um, that he would have to pay $6.3 million if he wanted to leave. Right. It's bizarre, isn't it, to sign a contract in November with that clause and then at the start of January um, want, want, want your way out of it. So it was a little bit acrimonious, but it's all ended now with, uh, with a divorce between uh, Sampaoli and the Chilean national side. You mentioned the high-intensity kind of football that he plays, and uh, I think anyone who saw Chile in the, in the World Cup would remember that. Um, the, the point about maybe some of the players being too old to play, does everybody not kind of play this type of football now? This, this kind of football has pretty much conquered the world. Uh, I mean, what are the implications? Is, is, do you see anyone playing low-intensity football ever at any point in the future? And if not... Um, you know, do we have to start thinking of, of a footballer's career as a, as a little bit shorter than before? Because really, once you get to 28 or 29, you're maybe past it for the kind of football that everyone wants to play now. Yeah, I don't think there are that many teams doing what Sampaoli did because, all right, there's, there's, there's the, the word intensity, but there are other factors such as the number of players he's prepared to commit forward, um, the place where he will, he will put his defensive line, which is very, very high. He will run the risk of, of the counterattack. 
Now, there, there are lots of teams who have reacted to this by perfecting their own counter-attack game, um, which is a game where you can sit deeper, conserve your energy, and perhaps takes less out of you. But one interesting thing, I think, an interesting point to make about Sampaoli, in comparison with his mentor, Marcelo Bielsa, is that Sampaoli has shown that he, he can be a little bit more pragmatic um, Bielsa doesn't really have anything beyond a plan A, and he has clearly burnt his players out in European seasons where he's been there with uh, with Athletic Bilbao and with Marseille as well. Um, w- when when Chile won the Copa America, they beat Argentina in the final. It was nil nil. It went to penalties. They won on the penalty shootout. You saw another side of Sampaoli. You saw that he was prepared to hold back. One of his key midfielders, Charles Arangues, the fellow who nearly joined Leicester at the start of the season, went to Germany and, and crocked himself in a first training session. So uh, not a very good decision from him. But he used Arangues in a more defensive way to try and isolate Lionel Messi from, from, from the rest of the team. So that there, there is a little bit more of a pragmatic side to Sampaoli, which will probably make him even more attractive to European teams than Marcelo Bielsa. Speaking of whom, actually, Tim, he's without a job at the moment. Um, it's interesting to consider his, uh, the you know, the profound influence he's said to have on, well, okay, there was Sampaoli who was up there for coach of the year. Pep Guardiola was there uh, in the same, in the, on the same podium. Uh, he claims this guy is, you know, one of his great influences uh, and nobody wants to give him a job. Why is this? Well, I don't think it's the fact that no one wants to give him a job. I mean, the Swansea president, uh, Swansea owner, was was over in Argentina, I think, trying to talk to him recently. Um, but he is gloriously eccentric, and he'll do it his way. And, and his way can sometimes be locking himself in a room watching football videos and not wanting to have a job. Uh, and Chile would love to have him back now because it's Bielsa who started this process with Chile. Sampaoli, as he himself uh, confesses, um, gave continuity so something uh, which was laid down by, by Bielsa. But can they afford him? I mean, the, the Chilean FA are, are saying that money's a little bit tight at the moment. So that they're having to wait for Sampaoli to pay off his fine in instalments. Um, so whether Bielsa will work for, for less money remains to be seen. Um, I, I don't think it, it's, the, it's that no one wants to give him a job. I think that he's quite happy not having a job for the time being. The big men at Liverpool apparently are on the way over to chat to uh, Alex Teixeira, a player who's never actually played for the Brazilian full team, a bit of a superstar at underage level. Is he? Does he seem like the kind of guy who would have been sourced by this transfer committee or somebody who would actually be quite valued by the current Liverpool manager? Uh, you would hope that, that Jurgen Klopp has, uh, has, has got himself a deal there. Will he, he'll have a considerable say in what happens. I would certainly think Alex, uh, Alex Teixeira is, is well worth a punt. Although, and he said he gave, a, he gave a huge interview to the Brazilian press a couple of months ago, uh, more or less uh, crying for Chelsea to come and buy him. But his impression was that uh, Shakhtar would not let him go now. And this was a deal that, if it takes place, would have to take place in, uh, in, in the summer transfer window. Although money talks. So if Liverpool or anyone else arrive with the cash on the table, then perhaps that could happen quicker. Chelsea are quite big in Brazil, Tim, aren't they? I mean, I've, I've seen a couple of kind of studies. You know, I, I mean, you, a lot of them are kind of PR things, I suppose. And I don't know how much of them are just clubs lying about how many followers they have. But it seems though Chelsea have a big following in South America. Maybe uh, they're, they're going to stoke it up a little bit by signing... Uh, Pato, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, what's been going on in his career over the last couple of years. But is is that really the case? Do do, do Brazilians look to Chelsea as a 
kind of a place they want to go? I mean, obviously, William wants to go there and, and maybe Alice Teixeira too. I see an incredible amount of, of Premier League, not only Premier League, even championship shirts being worn by Brazilians these days. And I saw a Hull City shirt being worn by a local the other day. Uh, and uh, of um, you, you see as many Chelsea shirts as you see of anyone else. Uh, you, I see a fair few United, Liverpool, some Arsenal, occasional Man City these days. Chelsea probably just tops it, I think. Yeah, it, it, is, a, it is a big name club over here. I remember they, uh, they're the last English club to, to win, win the Champions League. Uh, and um, there, there has been a, a connection with, with the Brazilians there. You know, they've got William Oscar. They had Luis Felipe Scolari as, as coach there. So the profile of Chelsea is, is very, very high. Yeah. What about Pado? Uh, this is a deal which, you know, according to, I think, ESPN Brazil, they, they reckon there's uh, an agreement, although I, I suppose we believe it when we see it. But Pado has, has been, I think, at Corinthians for a while, but he's... He hasn't achieved anything. I mean, what's, what's gone wrong with him? Because he, it's only a few years since he was, you know, going to be the next uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and it just didn't happen. Well, uh, first of all, on the transfer thing, I think you're wise to wait for some kind of official confirmation. And Corinthians are desperate to get him off the payroll. So there, there's been two agents wandering around England, knocking on doors, trying to sell him. And the asking price keeps coming down. And a lot of the news that you've seen speculation linking him to Liverpool and this club and that club. A lot of that, that news has been agent-planted, I believe, trying to drum up interest. So let's wait until there's official confirmation. And in the case of, of uh, Alexandre Pato, um, he had uh, a number of problems at, at Milan. One was that he, he, he ran in after, after an extraordinary start. You know, as a teenager, he was a consistent goal scorer in, in Syria A when Syria A was stronger than, than it is now. Um, so after an extraordinary start, he ran into a lot of injury problems. Now, part of that, I think, was maybe them trying to build up his upper body strength and, and his lower body not being able to cope with that. But also, and I think clearly, he went off the rails. Um, you saw more about him in in the style columns and the gossip columns than you did in in the sports pages, and he he is a prime example of uh, the phenomenon that's called over here the footballer's delayed adolescence. When you know when 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 the the young player is fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. His mates are starting to go out and have adventures. He's not doing those things. He's concentrating on his game. And then suddenly, signs a big contract. The money's there. He wants to catch up with the adventures that his, that, that his mates have had. And with that money, he's got the doors to the sweetie shop are all open. And I think that clearly happened with, with Alexandre Pato. The talent remains, I think. Um, he didn't work out at Corinthians. He was a big money signing for Corinthians. Partly, I think, because they're, Corinthians is very much a side with a kind of working class sweat and, and, and sacrifice ethic. And he's a little bit more of a blue blood for that. They loaned him, Corinthians loaned him to their local rival, Sao Paulo. And he did well last year. And he was scoring goals. He had his confidence back. He was working with a very interesting coach, Juan Carlos Osorio, Colombian was once on the Man City coaching staff and is currently in charge of the Mexican national team. And uh, Osorio used him wide left, cutting in onto his stronger right foot. And Osorio, who's, who's well-versed in global football, said, look, this in that position, Alexandre Pato is one of the five best players in the world. I can't understand what he's still doing in Brazilian football. Now, thankfully... 
Pato, I think, now agrees with him. He had a, a chance to go to China, um, but he doesn't just want the money. I think, you know, at, at 26, he realizes he's, uh, he's, he's got time left to be the player that he once threatened to be. And I think he's well worth a punt, you know, especially because in a year's time, he's a free agent, which means that Corinthians are so desperate to sell that you can play transfer window poker and get that fee so low that it more or less doesn't matter if the gamble comes off or not. But I think he's a gamble well worth taking. All right, Tim Vickery, great to chat. Thanks a million. My pleasure. Thank you. Maybe not too surprising that there are so many Chelsea fans in strolling around Brazil now. Somewhat surprised about the Hull City jersey and indeed the other championship jerseys that Tim has seen there. But I Big Al- Alex Bruce. They had uh, Giovanni, didn't they? I don't, know how, I don't know how big Giovanni is in Brazil, to be honest. I mean, he, he probably left there when he was young. I don't, I don't know how much he actually played there, but maybe old Giovanni making an impact. Just to go back to the Gareth Bale-Ronaldo story, and the way you, yourself and Sid worked that out was that m- maybe the agent is more worried about what exactly the transfer fee is. Maybe it's more of a point of a sort of point of honour amongst agents than it is. Because I, I, traditionally you'd always think that the, the, way, the way the footballers think it's about salary. Who's the best paid at the club? And oftentimes when they're negotiating contracts, the contracts are negotiated to make sure that they're going to be the best paid player, best paid player at the club. And that seems to be what generally is a bone of contention between them. So I'm just wondering, and the Ballon d'Or was mentioned obviously there as well. So what is the, what is the best gauge of a player's self-worth now? Is it, the, is it being the Ballon d'Or, is it being named the best player? Is it being paid the most or is it being paid, is it a club paying the most for you? I think the, uh, I think the Ballon. Well, it depends. It depends. The Ballon d'Or is pretty big now, though, isn't it? I, I mean, think it's a lot bigger than it was a few years ago. Just probably because, well, because it's just a one award now, and it, it used to be the European footballer and the world footballer, but also because of the Ronaldo Messi dynamic there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Funny though. I mean, I, I, there, I'm sure it's possible to construct an argument that that would say that once Ronaldo and Messi are gone, that the Ballon d'Or will get much bigger, because at the moment it's just. Well, they probably raise it up though. Yeah, maybe. Think? Well, I just think it's, it's you know, anytime you have uh, an award being dominated by two people and it just kind of goes back and forth. How how long ago is it now since someone that wasn't Ronaldo or Messi? 2007. Seven. You know, like it's, like the, the idea that this would be passed around between, that there would be five winners in six years, say, of the Ballon d'Or, you would surely think that that would make the Ballon d'Or bigger rather than, you know, more important rather than less important in the eyes of football in that you start off January 1st with an excellent chance of finishing. But, but I'm talking in, in the eyes of Cristiano Ronaldo right now. I'd say... Is it, would, would, he, would he prefer to hear that he gets paid more money than Leo Messi or would he prefer to win the Ballon d'Or for the next two years? No, he, he, he makes more money than Messi, I, I, I would say. Uh, you know, did it's, you see, it's more about club mates in that case. I mean, money itself there. isn't enough. Like, do you think Rooney feels good about the fact that he's by far probably the best paid player in the Premier League? Yeah, it's probably better than not Safe being. Pretty I good suppose. about it. Yeah. But, yeah, but do you think it's still? Do you think he gets real satisfaction out of that? I mean, he's used to making a lot of money. Yeah, plenty of people are making loads of money in football. Only one of them wins the Ballon d'Or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you read Ronaldo did an interview with GQ? I saw the photos. Yeah, so that's <laughs> he's, that's. He's, I'm, I'm, actually, on the show, on the show, I, was, I meant to text you about that. I, I forgot about that until now. Remember, we were talking. I was saying, oh, everybody bangs on about Cristiano Ronaldo's physical transformation from when he was young. Just how much work he's done. How he's the self-made Whoa. footballer. How he's got the physique. And my argument at the time, uh, the, the other day, was I think Leo Messi, if anything, has 
morphed more, has put on more because mus- Messi, I thought, started as not very impressive physical yeah. specimen by professional footballer standards and now has this amazing six pack. like a little scrum half. So I was making this big argument as though Messi was some powerhouse and then I saw the photos of Ronaldo. You're looking at Sorry, it Sorry, that remember? was my reaction to just Googling Ronaldo GQ there. Yeah. Good Lord. Good Lord. Well, that's, you know, that's Ronaldo and, and they bill it as Ronaldo's million dollar day. Ronaldo will make a million dollars today. He, he's doing a, a photo shoot for Tag and they kind of say, well, you know, he gets paid a lot of money by Tag and he's kind of earning a lot of his, his, uh, contract today so that's what we'll call it a million dollar day or thereabouts yep. and it follows you know Ronaldo at this photo shoot and he says some like bland things and you know it's it's really boring really I mean the interesting thing that he does say is I think at some point the guy asks him what you know what's your proudest moment like you know Champions League 2008 Champions League 2014 and he's kind of like when I scored five goals you know, like against whoever, one of those nameless uh, Spanish league teams that Ronaldo battered five goals past. And, and, he, and he seems seriously to be rating that higher than winning the Champions League. Yeah. And he says, oh, sure, the Champions League is great. You know, you, when you play the final, you score in the final, you win the trophy. It's great. Five goals, though. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean that that is sort of interesting. And he doesn't. There's not a lot else in the interview. You know, Ronaldo's very professional at photo shoots. What's this? What's it like to be part of such a crazy day? Just a normal day. What's your favorite muscle, there, Murph? Of uh, all the Ronaldo muscles. Yeah, I'm, I'm liking the one that he has at the back of his chest. I don't know what you call that. Do you know what I mean? You're, so well, I'm looking. I'm looking at six pack here, right? So if you or whatever amount of packs that is. Show me on. Show, show whatever me whatever amount is in that pack. So you go further out and open, 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 and then you're around by the. Do you see what I mean? It's, it's yes, that's, the, I, lat, I that's the, the lat zone. That, yeah. that, they're the lats, yeah. 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 I would have called those the Cristiano Ronaldo muscles because I've literally never seen them as pronounced on a human being as that. Yeah. So it's kind of under the armpit, basically. That's all Photoshop, though. What? No, GQ have actually... Uh, that's the article I actually clicked on when I Google it. It's they, they're saying... They're telling you exactly how much or how little they've Photoshopped it. And basically, they're just, they've just given him a better tan. Nah, it. nah. Don't think so. Uh, okay, well, one last question then for you, Karen. Go on, then. Who is the last person to win... The Ballon d'Or, then European Football of the Year, before Ronaldo and Messi started winning it. 2007? Mm. Oh, God, I'm going to make a fool of myself, am I? Uh, Ronaldinho? Nah. Zidane? No. Zidane was retired. Of course, yeah. Come on. Who? 2007. It's so long ago that you'll barely be able to remember. Okay, go on, tell he me. Does, he is a contemporary almost of Ronaldinho. And a compatriot. Rivaldo? Not that long ago. <laughs> I, <laughs> We're talking 2007. I, I, I oh, Kaka. Kaka. Kaka, we remember Kaka. He's, well, literally, he's the last person to win this before uh, Messi Ronaldo. And he seems like a, a kind of a historic figure in football now, like Garincha. <laughs> that's, how long this been, that's how long this has been going. Although Kaka, I think, is still playing in uh, Slightly in different character, I would say, Kaka, compared to Garincha. S- Marginally different, well, marginally different lifestyles and so yeah. forth, and worldviews. Different, different backgrounds, different uh, apples and apples and oranges. All right, that's your work done for this podcast. You've gotten just about to the end to the end of the show. We, on the other hand, are going to stick around studio to put together another podcast for you, featuring what are we talking about? U.S. Murph on Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning for the right to play in this year's Super Bowl, and we're going to talk McElroy Spieth in the battle for world, domin- uh, world domination, world golf domination, indeed. Before you press stop, though, just a gentle prod to get you to subscribe to the show on iTunes if you're not already doing that. Also, rate the podcast there and leave a comment. It all adds up, apparently. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you, you too, again. Okay, now you can go.
That's the second time he's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.